Okay, Genesis 32, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 3, and what I'm going to do is, is give the background here. Jacob is in a crisis once again, and we're going to get the background as we start reading in verse 3. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall ye speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith thus, I have sojourned with Laban, and stayed there until now. And I have oxen, and asses, and flocks, and men servants, women servants. And I have sent to tell my lord that I may find grace in thy sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee, and four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and for good reason. And he divided the people that was with him, and the flocks, and the herds, and the camels into two bands, and said, If Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. In moments of crisis, perhaps more than any other time in the Christian life, we feel our own human weakness. Uh, we, are, we respond oftentimes at first with fear, but then the Lord moves us to faith. But Jacob here is responding in distress. He was greatly afraid and distressed, and he's feeling his own weakness. He's feeling vulnerable. He's feeling like he's in danger because his twin brother, who promised to kill him, was riding to meet him with 400 men. So he's thinking, he's going to destroy me and everything that I have. And now he's feeling his dependence on God. In our weakness, when the Lord brings you into a time in your life where you come into a crisis point, when you feel your weakness, when you're filled up with fear, God will do three things for you. He'll deepen your relationship with Him. He'll teach you to depend on God, and He'll develop your Christian character and conduct. Hopefully I'll get through those three. We'll learn that that's what He did for Jacob. Let's go to prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for the Word of God. We thank You that it's sufficient for us, and it will teach us everything that we need to learn to help us get through this life and get some rewards at the end. I'm thankful, Lord, that the Word of God is able to make us wise unto salvation. It also sanctifies us. Lord, it uh, helps us to grow, it comforts us, it cheers our heart, it does so many things for us. This morning, I pray that you'd show us how it'll deepen our relationship with you and teach us to depend upon you and, and even change our character, change who we are as we get into the Word of God and as we have a real strong prayer life. And Lord, as we meet with you. And so, Father, if there be one here today that's going through a crisis and going through some time in their life where they feel maybe weaker than they ever have, uh, maybe times of fear and uncertainty. Father, I pray that this message would speak to their hearts. And I pray, Lord, again, if there's somebody here that's not saved, Lord, or maybe somebody that's watching online that's not saved, that today would be the day of their salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So uh, notice there, first of all, <clears throat> the background is that Jacob has trouble behind him. He's, he's, he's leaving his father-in-law Laban behind. And uh, Jacob tried to roll out of town with his two wives and all of his, uh, uh, all of his livestock. He really was a prince 
of a shepherd. He was very rich at this point, and uh, Laban wasn't happy about it, and Laban was threatening in the way that he dealt with Jacob, and Laban didn't give him a kiss when they left, and it really wasn't a friendly thing that happened there. So he's got trouble behind him, trouble behind his back, and then he's got trouble up ahead of him. He's got his brother Esau, and he thinks that Esau is coming for blood. He thinks somebody's going to die tonight if he catches up with me. So he starts thinking about what he needs to do, and he's filled up. He's greatly afraid in verse 7, filled up with fear and distressed. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been in such a bad condition that you have a panic attack and you think you're having a heart attack? Maybe you go to the emergency room. You ever been in that situation? That's scary. And that's probably what he's going through. He's, he's distressed. He's between a rock and a hard place, right? And so at this time, what God is going to do is God is going to use this to deepen his relationship with him. So notice in verse 9 what he does. Jacob said, oh God. That's good praying. When you get to that point when you're praying and you say, oh God, when you pray, you're really mean in business. But he says, oh God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord, which saidest unto me, return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. You see, he was right in the middle of God's will. He was in the center. He was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. And then trouble came. And you know, he's praying at the very last moment. Now he decides to pray when he hears that Esau is on his way with the 400 men. And uh, he wouldn't pray until they got into trouble. Sometimes we're like that, aren't we? Sometimes the Lord has to put us in an uncomfortable situation, and sometimes we don't pray until it's the very last minute, till we're in trouble, and then we finally turn to God in prayer. But you know, it had been 20 years since uh, his brother Esau had said, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. It had been 20 years. And you know what he does? He prays. He says in verse 10, he's even humbling himself. He's saying, I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff, uh, remember that word staff, we'll come back to that. With my staff, I passed over this Jordan and now I am become two bands. So the last time that we have a recorded prayer of Jacob, he had prayed at Bethel when he uh, met with the Lord at night there and had that dream. And then he crossed over Jordan and he went to Haran and went to, uh, to get his wives. And he says, I'm remembering that. And now I'm become two bands. He's, he's broken up into two companies with all of his people and, and, his, and his livestock. Deliver me, he says. So he's asking God, save me out of this situation. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. He's concerned about his wives and his children. Why is he concerned about them? Why does he bring that up to God? Because God promised, I'm going to bless your seed. I'm going to multiply your seed like the dust of the earth, like the stars of the heavens. So he's reminding God, God, remember your promises. Remember, I'm just doing what you told me to do. Remember that you said that you would bless me. And of course, God would because through this seed will come the Messiah, the one that would be born and laid into a manger. And so he says, and thou saidest, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered 
for multitude. You know, he may have been praying at the last moment and just praying because he's in trouble and he needs to get a hold of God uh, and because he's in a crisis. But you know what? His prayer is a good example because he was praying God's words. He was praying God's words back to him. He was reminding God of his promises, claiming the promises. And that is a great way to pray. The Lord blesses this sort of prayer. When we pray, we should pray, Lord, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's some people who are so dispensational that they would cut that out of their prayer life, the model prayer. And I'm going to tell you something, you shouldn't do that. That's not only a good prayer, thy will be done, that's the best prayer. And in here, this ought to put uh, goosebumps up and down your spine. Look what's on the back of our bulletin today. And I didn't know this, and, uh, but this is the message the Lord gave me, the importance of prayer. It's got some good quotes on there about prayer. One of them is, thy will be done is the greatest prayer. You know, you ought to pray God's will. Claim the promises of Scripture. If you're, if you're in your book daily, like you ought to be, in the Bible daily, and reading and praying, the Lord's going to make certain verses just jump out at you that are going to address situations in your life. Things that only He could know. And you know what that is? That's a promise that you can complain. I mean, that you can complain. That you can uh, claim. <laughs> it rhymes with that. And... Uh, you can claim that and pray that back to God. Pray promises back to God. When uh, he said to the Philippian jailer, he said, uh, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. You ought to claim that promise right there. Lord, you said that if I believe on you, I'll get saved and my house. Now, they have to personally trust Jesus as their Savior, but you can claim that promise and pray it back to God and uh, pray for the souls of the people in your family that aren't saved. But he uses this uh, to pray God's will back to him. You'll find this kind of praying in the works of some of the greatest preachers that ever lived. Matthew Henry, for example, he wrote the whole commentary on the Bible. He has a book on prayer, and he tells you to pray God's word. As a matter of fact, the whole book is just filled with God's word. Matthew Henry sat down, uh, just a great giant of the faith uh, from the 1800s, sat down and just wrote out from memory hundreds of verses that come to his mind when he's praying. In that book, it's, it's incredible. I have a copy of that book. It's, it's uh, Matthew Henry's Method on Prayer. And all of those verses, they're just things that came to his mind. He, wasn't his, he was a walking concordance. He had the Bible up in his... I guess if you preach through the whole Bible, you would. But he said, preach the Word of God. Or pray the Word of God. In Nehemiah's uh, prayers, he would pray little sentence prayers and get prayers up to God. Your prayers don't have to be big, big prayers. They don't have to be long prayers, but they need to be based on the will of God. Uh, Watchman Nee, he was a great preacher. Uh, uh, he wrote books on uh, prayer, and he wrote uh, a book, which is really a compilation of his messages called The Normal Christian Life. You'll find that teaching in there of things that he taught, a Chinaman and a great uh, Bible teacher. If, if you don't have Sit, Walk, Stand or The Normal Christian Life, you ought to pick those up. They're short books and real good. The Lewis Awakening of the Isle of Lewis, uh, the account given by Duncan Campbell of what the Lord did there, the great revival there. It started, people were claiming Scripture and praying it to God, and God shook that island. There's something to it. But you see, after he prayed, 
he didn't really trust God. He prayed the prayer, but then he thought, you know what, I'm going to take a couple of measures of self-protection. If you look in verse 13, and he thought, I'm going to, just in case the prayers don't get through, or just in, just in case prayer doesn't work, I'm going to take a couple of measures to protect myself. And you know, he really wasn't trusting God at this point. But God is starting to deepen his relationship with him. Notice in verse 13, he lodged there at that same night and took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau, his brother. He's going to try to appease his brother with a present. So what is he going to do? He's going to use his money. He's going to use his wealth. Now, he didn't have like uh, Bitcoin or he didn't have uh, a debit card or a credit card. And uh, I bet that I know there's some of you in here that you don't even use any plastic. It's just all cash. I know there's at least a couple here. And uh, not, not a bad idea. I'm not knocking it. But he didn't even have cash. He didn't have coins. His currency was livestock. He was a shepherd. And so was his brother. And so he gave him 550 animals. That's a huge, that's dumping, that's, that's a rich man that can do something like that. And he's dumping all that wealth on his brother, just trying to basically save his own neck. Now, he ain't trusting God yet. He's, he's just, he's got a backup plan. In verse 15, or verse 14, he goes through it all the 200 she-goats, 20 he-goats, and goes through all of that. It adds up to 550. And you see, he's, he's getting to where God wants him to be, but he's not quite there yet. And he's got reason to be scared. But you know what he's doing? He's being old Jacob. If you look back at chapter 27 with me, he's being old Jacob. And that means... The name means, it gives us the definition right here in Genesis 27, verse 36. <clears throat> Genesis 27, verse 36. He's, uh, you, can't, you can't trust Jacob. He's a liar. He's deceptive. He'll swindle you out of your things. <clears throat> he'll, he'll take your place and get what you got and take it for himself. He was a shyster, Jacob was. And then Uncle Laban got him back, didn't he? Genesis 27, verse uh, 36. And this is Esau talking to his dad after Jacob uh, swindled uh, Esau out of his uh, inheritance, his birthright, <coughs> excuse me, his blessing. <coughs> and he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. And behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? He's, he's talking to his elderly father who's laying there on his deathbed. And Jacob came in there and you know the story. And Esau says, Is he not rightly named Jacob? He supplanted me. That means he took my place by deception. He's a, he's a deceiver. He's a liar. It's the old man. You know what Jacob pictures? The old man, the old nature. But God is going to meet with him. And every time God meets with Jacob, he's changed. And God is going to make him a new man. And so uh, he's, he's plotting again. Once again, he's trying to take care of things himself with his own smarts, with his own money, instead of just trusting God. So uh, in times of weakness, God will deepen our relationship with him. He will also teach us to depend upon him. In chapter 32, in verse number 24... <clears throat> so uh, what happens in verse 24, Jacob was left alone. What had happened is that he sent that present ahead to Esau. Then he sent his wives, his children, and his livestock. 
he sent them ahead across the river Jabbok. So he was left alone. And, and so if you can picture it for just a moment, they're coming down on the east side of the Jordan River. Imagine the Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, and the Dead Sea. They're coming down on the eastern side of it, and they're coming down to the Jordan or to the Jabbok River, which is really like a river, a stream. You can walk across it. And it's a tributary feeding the, the uh, Jordan River. Well, he comes down to that. He's on one bank, and he sends his wives and the children, the livestock, the servants onto the other side of the bank and sends them away in the night. And now Jacob is left alone with the Lord. He's left alone with the Lord. He doesn't have his wealth. He doesn't have his wives. He doesn't have his workers. He's left alone. You know what some of you and you know what, you know what I need to do? We need to get alone with God. That's where he wants us. That's where God is really going to do a work in Jacob and change him. He won't be the same man after this night. He'll be a new man. He's going to change him. And uh, we don't spend very much time getting alone with the Lord. You know, we get so busy. We get so busy that we think it's sufficient to wake up in the morning, maybe get our little devotional book, read two or three minutes of a devotion, read the scripture on there, and read a prayer. Maybe, maybe you get into your Bible a little bit and read a little bit of your Bible. And then we have a little bit of prayer, and we think after five minutes, we're good to go. That's not getting alone with God. That's not getting alone with God. We need to get alone with God on a regular basis, on a daily basis, and spend significant time with the Lord. I'm talking like 30 minutes, 45 minutes. I don't mean you've got to spend hours alone with God, but maybe that's what you need to do <clears throat> when you leave here today. Maybe if, if it's been a long time since you've really prayed, <clears throat> maybe, excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, guys, maybe it has been uh, a long time. Maybe you're like Jacob. And you really don't pray unless you get into trouble. Folks, that's not a good place to be as a Christian. Do you know it's a command to pray? Do you know that I'm charged to command you to pray as a pastor? At least I'm charged to uphold the commands of Scripture. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. He got alone with God and he did business with God. He got serious with God that night, and God was going to use it to teach him to depend upon him. And, and to stop trying to connive and stop trying to figure things out and work things out. And so he found God alone in a dark place. And you know what? When you get alone with God, this is the reason I think a lot of us don't really want to get alone with God. First of all, we don't know what to do. Uh, but I think also we find out what we really are with God. We find out we really have no power in prayer. We find out we really don't know how to pray. We find out we really don't have much of a relationship with God. Let me ask you a question. If I were to say to my wife, Honey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you for five minutes a day. What kind of relationship do you think I'd have with my wife? I mean, I, we were all excited when we first met. 
Maybe you were all excited when you first got saved, if you're saved here today, and the relationship was great then, but time passes by, and how do you think my wife would feel if I said, honey, I'm going to make myself talk to you for five minutes every morning? What makes you think God would be happy with that? We ought to be like, with God, we ought to be like, I want to spend as much time as I possibly can with the Lord. But there comes a time when you've got to go to work and you've got to swing a hammer or you've got to turn a, a steering wheel or you've got to work on the keyboard and send out emails or whatever it is that you do or work in the hospital. There comes a time when you've got to get to work, but you ought to say, I want to spend as much time as I possibly can with the Lord. And so uh, he got him alone and he got him in a dark place. This was a dark time in his life. And you see, we, we find out what we really are. And Jacob that night, he found out that he really wasn't trusting God, that he really was still that deceiver. And we think he's like 20 or 30 years old. Folks, he's like 90 in his mid-90s. Somebody said 97. This is at the end of his life. He's been, a, he's been the supplanter his whole life. And that should give us hope. Don't give up on yourself. It's never too late for God to do a great work and to change who you are. But somebody says your ideal is what you wish you were. Your reputation is what people say you are. Your character is what you are. And when we get alone with God, I've found this out, God shows me what I really am. And now remember, He's my Heavenly Father and He loves me and I'm His child. And so He's just helping me to learn to depend upon him and changing me as I get alone with him. So Jacob was left alone and there wrestled with a man with him until the breaking of day. Now, I just imagine he's, he's there. It's the middle of the night. He gets into a wrestling match. Do you think for just a split second, maybe he thought it's Esau? You know, he's just there at night, maybe building a fire and some guy jumps on him from behind because it says that the angel wrestled with him first. Then he wrestled with the, the man. Sarah, it says man there. Hosea 12, it says the angel. But just imagine, he, somebody just jumps on him, starts wrestling him, and um, it's an angel, so you know the angel is way stronger than him. He's a 97-year-old man. But we learn from Hosea 12 that he's wrestling and he's prevailing, not just in a physical wrestling match, but in prayer. He's praying. He's asking the angel for things. See in verse 25, and when he saw that he prevailed not against him, that was the angel not prevailing against Jacob, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint, and he wrestled with him. Now the angel could take him easily, but he saw that he wasn't prevailing against him because Jacob was persistent, and Jacob was making supplication against, if you compare it with Hosea 12, you find out that it was an angel, he was making supplication, and then at the end of this, if you look in verse 30, Jacob called the name of that place Peniel. For He says, for I have seen God face to face and my life was preserved. We know today that this was nothing less than a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus as the angel of the Lord. Jacob was wrestling with God that night in prayer. Folks, we need to get alone with God and we need to wrestle with God in prayer. Now, God can whip us, but He's impressed with our faith, with our prayer, and we have power with God through our prayers. 
through wrestling, through being persistent. He wrestled, he says, he wrestled all till the breaking of day at the end of verse 24. He wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Uh, a father told a story about uh, family devotions in his home, and he asked the children to pray for one other person. So they went down the line, and each child prayed for another person. His son said he would pray for his friend Eddie at school. He prayed that God would help him with his bad behavior. And the next time that they got together for family devotions, Dad uh, was talking to all the kids, and Dad asked him, Are you going to pray for Eddie again? And he said, No, I prayed for him last week, and he's still being bad. That's not persistent in prayer. Persistent in prayer means you just keep on praying and praying and praying till you pray through. Is that not what Jesus taught us? He prayed through all the night. And folks, I'm not trying to say that you need to have an all-night prayer meeting with God, but maybe you do. But what I'm trying to say is that you need to get alone with God in prayer and serious wrestling and let God reveal to you what you really are and spend serious time being persistent in confessing sins. Confession and cleansing should be a major part of our prayer life. When did that ever go out of style in Christianity? Confession and cleansing. I remember, if you guys don't mind me telling a little story about myself, I told a little bit of my testimony up there because of the occasion of the church and, and uh, because that church had helped me to get grounded and sent me off to Bible college and so on. But I remember before I went down to Bible college, um, I was struggling with alcohol because that had been a part of my life ever since I was 11. So I was struggling to let that go. And I knew the only way it was going to happen was cold turkey. You know how it is when you do cold turkey, right? You kind of relapse every once in a while. I said, Lord, I want to go down there and I want to get in that Bible college and I don't want to be fooling around with this stuff because it just gives me such a bad conscience and I feel like I can't do anything for you. So I was watching this man. He's doing a chalk talk drawing. Is Dr. Peter S. Ruckman. He's doing a chalk talk drawing, and he's talking about uh, uh, besetting sins. And at the end of that chalk talk drawing, they, 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 had him, uh, they had him right looking dead into the camera. He said, I'm talking to somebody tonight, and you're struggling with a sin, and you can't get away with it. He said, this is what you need to do. You need to get alone with God in a room Nobody else around, nothing to distract you. No one's going to knock on the door. You're alone, just you and God and who you and, and what you really are. You need to get alone with God and get alone with God naked. Because naked we came into this world, naked, we came, naked we're going to leave this world. And he said you need to get alone with God and strip your life of everything that you think you are. And just get down on your face and pray to God and don't come out of that room until he's delivered you. Can I tell you something, folks? That works. I did that. I'm not trying to make myself... That's pitiful. That's shameful. I'm not doing that to <clears throat> exalt myself. But I did. And I got in there and I don't know how long it was. And I wasn't keeping track. And I cried like a little baby. Cried like a little baby. And I came out of that after confession and cleansing. I came out of that a different person. And I went down to Bible college and I didn't fool around with that stuff. And God down there took care of all my baggage and 
and renewed my mind with just hours and hours of Bible teaching. You know, if there's going to be Bible teaching somewhere, I want to be there. Like uh, up this meeting, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, Bible, Bible preaching and teaching every night. Hey, I'm enjoying it, man. I just want to be wherever that's happening. But he did that because he got alone with God in a dark place. And it was there that he learned to depend upon God. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, <clears throat> as we look at our final point, in our weakness, in Jacob's weakness, in a time of crisis, he teaches us to depend upon God by developing our Christian character and conduct. Because after this, after he wrestled with him through the night, Jacob started to just trust the Lord. And you know, one preacher said he let him sweat it out through the night because God had already taken care of the problem. He had already handled Esau. Esau wasn't coming to kill him. When Esau saw him, Esau hugged him and kissed his neck. Uh, it had already been taken care of by the Lord, and Jacob didn't know that, but looking back, he sure knew that. He sure knew that what was happening that night was God was teaching me to depend upon Him. And I'll show you what I mean by that as uh, we talk about the last point. He changes his character and his conduct. And our last point there. So notice uh, verse 26, and he said, the angel said, Let me go, for the day breaketh, the sun's coming up. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. You see, he's praying. This is importunity or prevailing prayer. He's being persistent in prayer till he gets the blessing. And uh, he said unto him, what is thy name? What is thy name? Now he's going to do something in his life for his character and for his conduct. He said, he's probably wrestling with him, you know, had had him uh, just kind of pinned down or whatever. And said, what's your name? And when he said that, I bet you old Jacob went back to that time when he, uh, when he was tricking Esau with, out of his birthright with his bull of chili and supplanting and taking Esau's place with his dad and, and uh, deceiving his dad and getting his blessing, getting all the inheritance from the family as the firstborn. He shouldn't have. He wasn't the firstborn. But I bet he goes back to that and, and hearing about how Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? Because he supplanted me these two times. I bet he thought about that and started feeling guilty about who he was. And he says, what's your name? And he made him say it. He made him say it. He said, I'm Jacob. He wrestled it out of him. He said, I'm Jacob. I'm, I'm the deceiver. I'm the liar. I'm the one who's always trying to figure it out on my own. I'm the one who only prays if I get in trouble. I'm a child of God. I'm a believer, but I'm still walking like the old man. I'm Jacob. So verse 28, and he said, no, you're not. (laughs) This is the good part. No, you're not. Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. You know what that means? That means that uh, it says right there, for as a prince hast thou power with God. He was a prince with God and a prince that had power with God. Where did his power come from? His prayers. His persistent prayer life. As a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. So Jacob was persistent in prayer and it changed his character and his conduct and he got a name change. He got a name change. So the next time he sees his wives, can you just imagine, on one side of the bank 
of the Jabbok River, which uh, let's say this is, this is the side of the bank here, he was on wrestling when he crosses over the Jabbok and he goes to find his wives and to see his children, which were probably full grown and everything. You know, I bet you, this isn't in the Bible, but I bet you this is what happened. I bet you that the first time that one of his wives laid eyes on him, she said, Jacob! Jacob, you're all right. What have you been doing? You know, where have you been? You left us all night. And he said, I've been praying. I got alone with God. I met God in a dark place. And he said, I'm not Jacob anymore. Don't call me Jacob. I'm Israel. I'm a prince with God. I have power with God in prayer. And he started talking about God now all the time talking about his dependence and his trust in God. And he says, I I think God's going to take care of me. I think God's got this now. And uh, he met with God in that moment. Every time he did meet with God, he was a different person. And you know what? If you've met with God and trusted Jesus as your Savior and have been born again with a childlike, simple faith in the blood atonement on the cross, if you've met with God in that way, which was a crisis moment, I don't know about you, but I thought I was going to go to hell, and and I was if I would have rejected Jesus. It was a crisis moment for me, and I got saved. And I said, I'm so glad I'm not going to hell. And the Lord changed everything after that. But you know, there's the old man. I can still walk like the old man. I can be the old John Paul that everybody in my hometown knows. I could be that old person, but I'm not anymore. I'm the new man. We're supposed to put off the old man. Put off the old man, the ways of the old man. Put off the old Jacob and put on the new man like a new person pair of clothes, like clean clothes, put on the new man and, and, uh, and walk like you're Israel, like you're a prince with God and you have power with God. You know, you're, you're not uh, old Simon anymore. You're not old shifting sand, uh, unreliable, always saying the wrong thing and all that kind of stuff and always getting yourself into trouble. You're not, you're not uh, shifting sand. You're not leaving the Lord at his greatest hour of need and, and uh, forsaking him and fleeing in fear, now you're Peter. You're the rock. You're different. You're not Saul, the, the old persecutor of the brethren, the, of Christians. You don't hate Christians anymore. You don't hate church and you don't hate Bibles and all that kind of stuff. Now you, you love the brethren. You love being around God's people. You're Paul now. You love uh, evangelizing and seeing people get saved and seeing the church grow and all that kind of stuff. You're a different person now, but we've got to walk in that new man and that new man put on Christ. That new man is Christ. Jesus wants to live his life through us. He's on the inside. He is the indwelling Christ. And he wants to live through us. He wants us to walk in the new man. I like what Brother... Uh, White said in his message, he says in the mornings, he prays, God, help me today not to walk in the flesh, but to walk in the spirit. You see, you need to get alone with God as you start your day. You can't just walk right out your door. You're a child of God now. You're not Jacob anymore. You're not just trusting in your own flesh and your own way and your money and the security that you think that you have. You're not Jacob anymore. You're Israel. You got power with God in prayer. So you don't walk out your door without spending some time with God and saying, God, I need you today. I don't want to walk in the flesh. I don't want to fulfill the lust of the flesh. I don't want to be the old man anymore. I want to be the new man. And I know it's a gradual thing and everything, but help me today to put on the new man. We get dressed to get ready for the day, don't we? 
And we, we take showers to get cleaned up, don't we? At least most of us. You know, I, I had my mom yesterday because I had the kids for three days and I, I made it through it. We did all right. But I had my mom yesterday give Lily and Jace a shower because it had been a few days. And uh, I got Jace up this morning to get him ready. And I'm helping him put on his shirt because it's one of those button-up shirts. He can't do that. And I'm, I'm smelling him. I'm like, I didn't say anything, but I'm like, you smell like a homeless person. So I think what he did was he just got in the shower and just put the water on there, got out and, you know, dried off so that the towel was wet. So it looked like he got a shower. He didn't get a shower. And, uh, but I know Lily did. So, uh, you know, we need to get clean. Amen. We need to really get clean. You need to get, get the water of the word apply it, get the soap of the word, and really get clean. Get alone with God and get uh, all squeaky clean. And start to let the Lord change your character. Because as I close, I want to say this. That's what prayer is for. That's what prayer is for. Prayer is to ask for things and to get things. That's true. You know, you have not because you ask not. But it's more than that. It's for you to... Deepen your relationship with God. That happens through prayer and the Word of God and letting God speak to you through the Word. It's, it's, it's to teach you to depend upon God. It, it's, it's when Jacob left that place, when he crossed, he left the old Jacob on the other side of the river Jabbok. He left the old man on the other bank. On the, on the, other, on the new bank, on the new side, he's Israel. But he came across with a staff in his hand and, a, and he was crippled. He was limping. So everywhere he went, he had that staff, but he was limping. And every time he limped, every time he grabbed on that staff and leaned on that staff, he thought about, I'm not the old man anymore. The limp represents the old nature, the old man. The staff represents his dependence upon God. And you know that staff was wooden. You know what that represents? The cross. We are continuing to trust in and cling to the cross and depend upon God. And we, we don't go to God based on just who we are, our own character. We go to God based on what happened on the cross. Amen. That's our relationship with Him. And so he's learning to depend upon and lean on that staff. And he's thinking, every time he leans on that staff, I'm trusting in God. I'm not the old man anymore. And so he's, he's learning that. And then also in prayer... God develops our character and our conduct. I can't tell you how many times, just in, just in reading the Word of God, God deals with me about just the re- most recent thing I'm studying for tonight's message, and it's talking about let your moderation be known unto men. And moderation means to be, to be kind and to be Christ-like and to be uh, like that with all men, not just the church, but everybody, people out there that are not saved. And the Lord's been dealing with me about I'm not as kind as I ought to be and gentle and patient, and long-suffering, and all that kind of stuff. I let my moderation be known unto all men. You see, the Lord's just, so I get down, and I pray about it, and I pray God's Word back to Him. And he, he changes my character, and changes my conduct. And now, once that's in my head, and in my heart, then when I'm out there living, and going about life, then the Lord starts saying, let your moderation be known. Let your moderation be known. And reminding me of it. And you know, as we spend real time, I'm talking about making a commitment to the Lord that you're going to get up in the morning and, it, and you get up as early as you got to, to spend real time with the Lord, some time in the Bible, 
some time in prayer, make sure that confession and cleansing is a part of it, and uh, letting God take a fine-tooth comb and just work through your life with that fine-tooth comb and work through your heart and remove anything He doesn't want there. And you know that, uh, that angel and changing His name demonstrated authority over him because he said, I'm changing your name. And then Jacob said, what's your name? And he wouldn't tell him. That shows that that angel had authority over him. And God does have authority over our lives. And he wants us to, he wants us to be changed. And he wants to make us more like Jesus Christ. And so he remembers that we're dust. Psalm 103, verse 14, For he knoweth our frame. He knows we're human and that we're weak and that we're dependent upon him. He knows that we're prone to fall, but a just man falls seven times and gets up again. He knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. Even Paul would say, For that which I do I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. We need to really get alone with God. Would you allow me to belabor the point this morning for just a couple more minutes? Because the Lord put this on my heart. And I, I believe everybody here today is saved and God knows your heart. So I'm not going to give the normal gospel punch I would give at the end. But at that meeting on Thursday night, the Lord gave me liberty and allowed me to really preach and enjoy it. And, uh, and I could just feel God just taking the message and using it. And there was a young man there who was there in a red hoodie, you know, and sitting, back, sitting in the middle of, of a group of people. And, um, and we found out that he had just basically uh, walked in that night, walked in off the street. He was walking down the sidewalk. He saw the church sign lit up. It's a Thursday night. He saw a sign saying that there was preaching going on, and, and, and God had been dealing with him. So he said, I just came in here. I'm just looking for something. Amen. And I preached, and I, and I preached, and he's sitting there listening, just locked, locked in. And um, after the service, you know, I gave the gospel and everything, and after the service, he, he came up to me. I said, if, uh, if you don't respond to the invitation, uh, come up to one of us if you want to get saved. He came up to me. I'd like to tell you that he got saved, but I'll, I'll tell you why I didn't push the issue. He came up to me, and, and uh, he said, this is what I needed. This is, this is what I needed. I'm going to be back. He, he was walking in the dark. He's in a dark place in his life. He said to me, you look like somebody I know. If I, uh, he said, I think I was mean to you and yelled at you one time at Tommy's Pizza, and I'm sorry for that. And I said, I don't remember it, but uh, I probably deserve it, and it's good for me to get that every once in a while anyways. But uh, he said, well, I'm sorry. And he said, this is what I need, and I'm, I'm going to be back. And I said, uh, let me ask you a question. Are you saved? And um, he said, well, I... Uh, and I could see, man, Holy Spirit conviction, big time. He said, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think I have to say it settled, but I'm, you know, I'm just, <clears throat> I'm just, uh, this is what I needed tonight. This is what I needed. And, um, and I was going to have him just sit down right then with the Bible. <clears throat> but I thought, just something in me just kind of sensed that he was green fruit and it wasn't time yet. So I gave him several of those comic book chick tracks and he said, I'm coming back tomorrow. And so um, I said, all right, I'm going to be praying for you. His name's Terry. Now, he didn't come back the next night. And he didn't come back the next night. Um, 
And so that tells me he's at a place in his life where he's not really getting serious with God. He's not really surrendering. And I go back and forth on whether or not I should have led him to the Lord, but I trust that God is in control. And, uh, and I opened up the conversation. He kind of backed away a little bit. He didn't want to talk about it a whole lot, but he knew he wasn't saved, and I, I let him know he wasn't saved. And uh, you know what that was? That was somebody who met God in a dark place, but still is kind of holding back. You see, when you, when you mean business with God, like I said, you'll just strip yourself naked of everything that is you and the old life, the old clothes. And um, now, not for salvation, you, you know what I'm saying. But uh, you'll strip yourself of everything and say, God, you make me what I ought to be. You make me the character that I ought to be. And listen, if you don't get alone with God, you're basically saying, I'm doing fine operating in the old nature. You're basically saying that I don't want a deeper relationship with the Lord. You're basically saying, God, I don't want to spend time with you. And I know that's not the heart of anyone here, but I know how we can get cold on God. We can cool off. And every once in a while, we just need somebody to give us an exhortation to just get back at it and to get back to growing. Because this is, this is it, folks. Your, if your prayer life is inconsistent and kind of spotty, and you, if you can go for days or even over a week without praying, if your prayer life is weak like that, Guess what? Your relationship with God is, is directly related to your prayer life. So if your prayer life is weak and inconsistent, your relationship with God is weak and inconsistent. doesn't mean you lost your salvation. just means that you're not in fellowship with the Lord. And you need to just get alone with God and say, God, I want to get this thing started right, and I want to, I want to grow in this area, and I want to become committed to getting alone with you every day. And then as much as I can on top of that. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And Brother Adam's going to come ahead with a song. The invitation is this this morning, folks. Uh, I know around here that uh, a lot of times there's not much movement at the altar uh, during the invitation. But the altar is open. This is the altar call. And whenever I realized that there was something in my life that wasn't as it should be, something I was holding back from the Lord, I'd respond at an invitation, even if it was just standing in my seat, bowing my head. You can pray right now. This is the time to respond to the message. And I found that when I made little commitments, that I started to move ahead. It, don't, don't worry about, uh, I know I tried this before and it didn't work out. Don't worry about that. Just say, Lord, in the morning you're going to hear my voice. And I'm going to carve out some time. I'm going to get up earlier. I'm going to do what I have to do. When the kids go to bed, I'm going to, I'm going to pray then. Whatever it is, say, Lord, at this time, I'm going to meet with you and, and say, Lord, I'm sorry for neglecting my relationship with you. I'm, I'm sorry for neglecting the sacred duty of prayer. But more than that, Lord, I, I, just want to, I don't want to function out of just duty or some kind of religious uh, Thing that I got to do. I want to do this because I love you. I want to do this because this is a love relationship and this is how I grow in my relationship with you. This is how I let you really take a fine tooth comb and go through my life. Would you say, Lord, I'll commit to you 
to do this on a daily basis, to spend real time in prayer. And you'll find that you'll just grow a little over time. Your prayer life will get a little bit better, a little bit better. And as you allow the Lord to show you how it's done. God, I pray that you'd seal this message to our hearts. And Lord, as we look forward to going into this season, this time of year, uh, God, that we might be strong in prayer as a church as we seek to try to uh, win people to Christ uh, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What's our number? 588 this morning. Five hundred and eighty-eight. You can come forward to pray. Five eighty-eight. Of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and bids me at. My Father's throne, make all.